What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Welcome back. This is so crazy. This is season four of the Government Coins podcast. And I have to say, I am so grateful. I'm extremely grateful for all of the listeners, all of the viewers, and everyone who continuously supports this podcast. Um, honestly, I did not know if there were gonna there was gonna be a season four, but we kept getting so much feedback and people reaching out and asking when were we going back. So I said, all right, we'll do it again. <laughs> so here we are, and today's episode is also gonna be a huge kick, like just a huge kickoff because every conversation we've had, we've talked about doing contracting with government agencies and more about how to get into this space. Um, we have a special guest today who's going to speak more about shareable contracts. So I know that is a term that we haven't used on this podcast at all. So you've definitely heard multiple award schedules and things like that. But shareable contracts, I know yeah, yeah, your eyes are twitching a little bit right now because you want to know what that is. So we're going to get into it. But before we start talking about that, I would love to introduce our amazing guest. So Marielle Reed is the founder of Pavilion. And Marielle and I met a few years ago because we're both in the GovTech space and immediately knew there was something going to happen, but we had no idea what we were going to do together, but just continuously checked in to see how things are going, what updates, things like that. It's been a while, but I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Uh, Mario, would you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, no, I'm excited to to be here and um, and share more about what we've been up to. And it's been so fun to follow your journey um, as well. So thanks for having me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think uh, my background, so I've, I've always wanted to work on um, things that make people's lives better and at scale. And so I started my career working in the tech um, sector and uh, at a then small startup called Coursera focused on education technology. Um, joined the mayor's office uh, from the tech world. My friends thought I was a little bit crazy um, doing that, but really because I was hungry to take um, what I had learned about uh, building products and um, and uh, leveraging tech to kind of have impact at scale to the public sector. Um, there's so much opportunity, I think, um, for tech and government to work better together. And living in San Francisco, I think I was a bit puzzled, like many folks coming from the tech sector around like, wait a second, we have all this capital and we have all this talent, um, you know, where is that showing up in our public services and, and how can these two worlds connect a bit better? So I joined the mayor's office um, and there I got to work on uh, talent and tech procurement. And um, I basically fell in love with procurement, uh, which I know is like a weird thing to say, um, but uh, but I know I'm among um you know, proud public procurement nerds here. So um, I, I fell in love with procurement and I saw an opportunity to basi basically use the tech experience that I had to um, to help public servants, not just in the city and county of San Francisco, um, uh, do procurement, um, you know, better, but, but actually change how procurement can happen um, across state and local governments um, in the whole country. And um, in particular, a really important part of, um, you know, why I'm, I'm doing this work and our mission at Pavilion um, is to engage a broader set of talent um, and businesses in public problem solving. I think I got to see a number of times firsthand, man, when, we, when we're able to 
invite businesses and um, individuals who have a different set of experience in and um, and they come up with like amazing solutions. Um, and then, as you know, they have all kinds of trouble um, getting a contract, scaling their business. Um, so there's so much opportunity, I think, to really widen participation and ultimately like see that as a really critical thing for delivery of, of like even better um, and more responsive quality government. So like our ultimate mission is to improve lives at scale by making government procurement work better. And a really important component of that is making sure we're engaging kind of like the widest set of problem solvers um, possible because we think that's what produces the best outcome. So really excited, um, again, to be sharing more about what we're doing there, um, inviting greater participation and, and helping businesses who are um, maybe just getting started or curious about how to serve the public sector space um, really get into it. Uh, I, I think I've shared this in the past, but like I would love to see in the future government contracting become even more of kind of a household thing um, where it's weird if your business doesn't think about selling to the public sector. Um, so that's a bit about me and, and a bit about my journey. Wow. And I love that. I love how you mentioned making it a household name because it's one of those conversations right now that people are still scratching their head about it, you know? So definitely making sure that that's an opportunity available. I want to hear a little bit more about um, how and why or how you decided to just, what was it that just allowed you to create, come up with the idea of creating Pavilion and basically how you transitioned from Co-Procure to Pavilion? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a good question. So um, I think during my time at the city and county of San Francisco, I got to see the impact that public procurement um, can really have, uh, especially when procurement works well, right? Um, fundamentally, it's about a match making process of public servants are trying to do something um, to deliver a critical service or an improvement um, on behalf of the public. And they need to find um, businesses, talent, um, who can help support either with a product or a service or both. And so I got to see in a couple of instances when that matchmaking works, um, the, the true impact it can have um, both on outcomes for residents, like ultimately on the quality of experience for residents, um, the, what it means to like work in public service and for a business. So to walk through an example, um, it was taking the city and county um, over 300 days uh, to get a parent who wanted to foster, uh, be a foster parent through the application process. And, um, and that timeline obviously is like super tangible. Um, you can think about the kids who are waiting for foster families. Um, you know, they're being housed in group homes outside of their communities. The impact and the sort of trauma of that experience um, is, is very real. And so bringing that time down was something, you know, the public servants doing the work were also really trying to figure out, like, how do we do this? How do we be um, more effective um, and, and spend more of our time also like on the social work and leveraging our expertise and training there and less on like paperwork wrangling. I think they had like a 70 page Excel spreadsheet that they were like managing all of this um, process through. And so um, uh, the the program that I, that, um, that I was part of in the mayor's office um, uh, was able to um, identify a startup that had done work in the private adoption space um, and uh, essentially recruit, invite the startup to participate in this, um, in solving this challenge with the Health and Human Services Agency. And together they um, basically did a couple of things. They built a public website um, to increase the number of applications. Um, they built kind of like a TurboTax um, like form for managing these applications. So um, helping that kind of go digital. 
and um, and uh, an internal system, a better internal system for the public servants who were doing this work to manage all of the steps in this application process. And it was just such a clear example of like, man, this was a company that wouldn't have otherwise necessarily thought to serve the, the public sector, but there was this great opportunity to match this talent, this creative way of doing work and create a new category. And now that company um, has also gotten its start um, in the public sector and sells, you know, they're, they're in dozens of states now um, because every single county has the same challenge. So that was just one of, a, you know, half a dozen examples that I got to see where I'm like, man, this 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 seemingly boring administrative process of procurement actually matters so much um, for the speed and responsiveness of government, for these businesses that get access um, to this market and then can grow and do amazing things, and also for the quality of like what it is to be a public servant. And I definitely had this experience myself too, where I'm like, I'm an older millennial, like, but I'm still a millennial. I'm used to like shopping, doing all this stuff on my phone. It's instant, it's a few seconds. And then of course, sitting um, in city hall as a public servant, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm using email. I'm using like phone calls. Like it just feels so stuck in the nineties. And so I think it was a combination of like, man, seeing the opportunity and the value of when procurement works and it works well, just the win, 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 um, that is possible there. And then also just kind of this feeling of having come from the tech sector and, um, seeing so many other industries, um, kind of have this e-commerce experience where, you know, it's, it's kind of instant. There's all this information. It's incredibly user-friendly. And then this really important work, big dollars at play. Um, and you know, this whole, um, cohort of public servants trying to do, again, this really important work, spend all this money and, um, still stuck on like nineties technology that just felt really backwards. So, I guess you could say, like, I fell in love with this problem and the opportunity at play and saw, again, um, I think the combination of, like, there's a really big market here, but there's also a really unique um, opportunity to unlock so much impact. And that's really what I've always been looking for as well. It's just, like, how do you actually make, like, what's the what's the biggest kind of social impact thing I could think to do? And it was, like, make making government work better at any kind of scale, like, changing a system um, that empowers um, public servants to actually deliver better government, do the work that they're trying to do. And again, from a more diverse um, and expansive set of businesses and, and minds, like it's been a, it's been hard, but it's also been kind of a dream come true to get to work in that space and on that problem. I think that is so rewarding to hear. Like it's been hard, but it's also been like, it's a, it's a challenge, but it's something that I'm so excited. And I'm happy that I'm still doing Okay, so thank you so much for sharing that. I hope that inspired a lot of people out there to continue to do the work and try to get into this space as well. Um, but now let's hop into the next phase of our conversation, which I know people are still biting their nails to hear about, is <laughs> shareable contracts. So what are shareable contracts? Yeah, so um, so taking a step back, you know, I was sort of in this position of, hey, there's this huge opportunity, I think, to like leverage technology to make um, procurement work even better um, and, you know, to empower the, the folks doing the work with technology. And then there was this question of like, how, what's the right starting point? And so um, my own journey was, you know, like a, a lot of people first, I looked at like, okay, what's this like RFP process, this competitive solicitation process, seems like there's so much pain and friction in getting access to your first contract. Um, and I spent some time there, um, but the more I talked to people, the more I heard about um, this this thing, which was like, 
hey, what about making it easier to find the work that's already been done? Like, did you know we can actually use the work of other public agencies? Um, um, so like shareable contracts is kind of our catch-all umbrella term for um, the kind of contract that a public agency can use from another public agency to make a purchase. So um, again, for, for those who may not have the full context, taking a step back, um, you know, government procurement is hard because it's complicated. It's complicated um, because it's regulated. And, and those regulations require um, that public entities that want to spend money um, do so through a competitive solicitation process, right? So that's the dreaded like bidding process, RFP process. And, um, and ultimately that process, um, at the end of that process, produces a contract. And um, it turns out that, you know, most public agencies go ahead and meet that requirement by creating their own contracts from scratch every single time. It takes four to 24 months. It's a really long and expensive process. But the alternative to making a contract from scratch in order to purchase is to use a contract that some other public entity has already created through competition. So um, essentially at every single level of government, these um, public entities are running solicitation processes, they're making new contracts, and they're essentially onboarding suppliers um, to do business, not just with their entity, but actually with a broader marketplace of public entities. But the problem has historically been um, suppliers don't know when they've won these kinds of contracts that can be shared and how to use them, and governments can't find them. So um, when I talked to public entities, public servants, um, you know, it was, it was um, everyone knew that these contracts exist. They're, they can be called cooperative contracts or piggyback contracts. Um, multiple award schedules can be a, one of um, these, you know, this category of contracts as well. Um, so public servants know that they're out there, they exist, how to use them. Um, but when I talked to them about, look, how are you finding these contracts? It was like, I email people in my network, I maybe call the vendor and ask, but sometimes they don't know what I'm talking about. Um, or I go on to like, you know, I open six tabs and I'm checking like my state website. I'm checking like a few other local entity websites, et cetera. So folks were looking for these contracts already on the buyer side and didn't have a place to go to find them. So um, a, shareable contract, a shareable contract essentially um, is any contract that's been created through a formal competitive process that qualifies a supplier um, within a set of terms, you know, like with a given scope for a set duration to sell um, those, those products or services to um, multiple entities. And um, the incredible thing is many businesses out there actually have already won these kinds of contracts and just don't know it. So our product is, is building one place to go where buyers can find and use, purchase off of these contracts created by public entities across the country in one place and where suppliers can sell more um, using the contracts that they've already won instead of having to go through a new process uh, from scratch. So that's really what Pavilion is. Um, you can think of it as like all the contracts, you know, from your local agencies, states, the federal government, national purchasing cooperatives, um, all kind of under one roof. And um, again, our ultimate goal there is to bring down the costs of buying and selling in the public sector, expand participation, and um, and help public agencies deliver better and faster services. Got it. And I love the fact that you brought that up. Uh, someone did have a question in the chat, so I'm going to get to that question. Oh, but great. just before we get to that, you mentioned that sometimes business owners don't know if they've won these type of contracts. That right there is 
the key part because even as a business owner, you could be marketing your services to someone to another agency, the agency down the street, the agency a few miles up the road. So I love that you said that. And how would a business find out if they have a contract that they can, you know, essentially allow other agencies to piggyback off of? Yeah, no, this is one of the most exciting things because um I know oftentimes like folks folks also ask the question sometimes around like, hey, um, isn't helping people who've already won business like limiting competition? Um, like how does that support um like expanding participation in the sector? And there are um there are three really important things at play. First is if all of a sudden participating in a competitive bidding process um allows you to win a contract that you can use to enter a market that changes your cost of customer acquisition. And by dramatically lowering that cost of acquisition, we think we can entice more people to look at the process and be like, oh, it's worth going through that first RFP process. Um, Because look at the opportunity that's on the other end. It's not so expensive. It's not so impossible to actually grow my business and government. The second thing is um, what you just mentioned, which is like, Actually, there's a there's such a big universe of businesses that have already been pre-qualified um, uh, to sell using these contracts. And especially as we unlock more data from local public agencies, we're just seeing like a plethora of new kinds of businesses, especially the more small, diverse um, businesses that provide like services, locally relevant services. So I don't know if you can see my shirt, but I'm wearing like tree trimming and like Um, sign language interpretation and like a bunch of things that you can find on the platform. And oftentimes it is small and diverse businesses that are qualified. Um, But like you said, they don't realize that they've gone through this RFP process and that the contract that they've been awarded actually includes this opportunity to sell um, to others. So they're missing out on um, the opportunity to grow their business using the contract that they've already won. Um, we have a checklist on our um, and some resources on our website. So um, I'll share kind of at a high level, but if folks are curious, um, I can also share with you the links um, after this for those more and detailed I can go resources. And grab them now as well. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Um, but essentially, uh, you should do first an inventory of the contracts you've already been awarded because every time you've responded to and won a competitive Uh, a a competitively solicited contract, you may have been awarded a contract that you can use to sell into the broader GovTech, sorry, the broader government market. And so um, what you want to look for is, was the contract competitively solicited, right? So were you part of a competitive bidding process? Was there a, um, a solicitation, a bid document that went out where there was competition and evidence of competition? Then you want to take a look um, at the expiration date and make sure that that contract is still current. So public agencies can't piggyback on a contract that's already expired. That contract needs to still be active. And then the third thing is um, most, but not all, most public entities require what is called um, like piggyback language or cooperative language in the contract um, documents in order to be able to leverage that contract. And this can take a number of different forms. And again, I can share an article um, with you that has some examples, but essentially it can be known as like a cooperative use, other governmental agency use, um, uh, piggyback clause, but there's some language typically in the terms and conditions that says, hey, other public entities can leverage this contract, um, you know, if the vendor agrees. And then the fourth thing to think about, and especially for smaller businesses, is um, what's the scope? What's the sort of menu of services and the pricing arrangement that you've set up? 
Um, so this is something to think about as you're participating in the RFP process as well, um, is if you think about every contract that you win as an opportunity to win a contract that you can use to sell to other governments, you want to think about like, would I actually want to sell off of this contract um, to other entities? And so um, thinking about what kind of pricing um, you provide um, and, um, and recognizing like, would you want to honor that pricing for other public entities? Um, how do you set up kind of a menu of services or menu of prices that makes sense um, and might be sort of adjustable, whether that's like a super big urban customer or maybe a more rural, smaller client? Um, you can always discount off of the pricing additionally, but you can't go up. So that's another place where folks sometimes get stuck where it's like, oh man, shoot, I didn't realize that I could use this like, I don't know, city of Boston contract to sell to another public entity. Um, but oh man, I gave them such a, a steep discount. I don't know if I can actually afford to sell to a smaller um, public entity on these terms. So that's one other thing to just consider um, is looking at the contracts and, and as you're responding to business, thinking about, okay, how do we actually um, provide a menu, provide a, a pricing response that we could use as a business to not only serve this customer, but actually a broader set of customers. So that's essentially what you're looking for. And like I said, some um, public entities like City of LA, um, a number of, of uh, local entities in Kansas um, don't actually even need that cooperative language. As long as it's been competitively solicited, they're oftentimes able to leverage a contract. So there's a wide world out there um, of being able to use those contracts you've already won to sell the products or services that you've been qualified um, by some other public entity to sell. Okay, so that was a, a really good checklist. And I know uh, someone just said, basically you already answered the question that they had in the chat. So <laughs> that was perfect. But I, I went ahead and I dropped the link in there to the checklist as well. So that way, um, if you are watching this on YouTube, you can go ahead and check out the link to Pavilion's article about shareable contracts. And how do you know if you if you have won a contract like that? Um, the next question that I wanted to ask was, Okay, let's say we went through the checklist, we went to the website, we checked out the checklist, and we did realize, oh man, we have a contract that we can take to another agency to, to basically share this contract. What are some tips that you would give for a small business on how to leverage this contract, how to leverage this shareable contract? Yeah, totally. So um, a, a couple of things. Uh, one is... Um, understanding who your customer is and the role that procurement plays in the organization is important, right? So most businesses out there are not actually selling to procurement, um, right? You're doing um, landscaping or um, like on my shirt, sign language interpretation or whatever it is. And you're selling to an end user, a public servant in government who needs your products or your services. So, um, so I would say like, you shouldn't immediately call up the procurement team um, or department and try to be like, hey, I have a shareable contract, like, please buy my services, because they're not really your customer. So I would say still focus on your customer, but you should be leveraging and flagging in your conversations with your customers um, that you have this procurement vehicle, this contracting vehicle available, because um, essentially it strengthens your pitch to those customers when all of a sudden the ask on your customers isn't, hey, can you put out an RFP process or a bidding process um, that they're going to have to kind of shepherd. They know it's going to take a really long time. There's a buy it now option available that they can use to take to their procurement team um, and evaluate. So, so that's one thing is like, it should change. This should be reflected in your pitch 
not to the procurement department. So it's don't start pitching um, procurement teams all of a sudden if they're not your customer, but in your conversations with your customers, because having that buy it now option, being able to um, support your customer in their internal conversations with procurement um, can go a long way. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, make sure you've added your contract documents and information about your business to our platform. So um, there's no cost to be listed. Um, in the future, we do plan to assess uh, a, a fee when we help you win new business, but we're not doing that now. So it's a great opportunity to really get started um, and, um, and help us uh, help you, um, make your business more visible and accessible. Um, and, um, and basically like we have, um, thousands of public entities that visit our platform every single month that are running searches and our ability to match, um, those, uh, those high intent buyers with information about suppliers that have these kinds of contracts. That's our bread and butter. So we can help you also, um, increase your visibility and at least have the opportunity, um, to sell. So those are kind of the two things. And then I, I think the third one is just as you continue to apply um, to new solicitations, to new bids, um, make make sure you're taking a look at that language. And if it's not there, you can always ask the public entity, hey, can you put it in? Um, and again, think carefully about, hey, what's the scope here? What's the menu of services and the pricing um, that I want to offer? So that if I do win this business, um, I could think about extending this opportunity um, or this, you know, these services um, to other types of public entity customers. And I would feel excited about it for my business. Got it. So that's a good point. Ask, you can also ask to add that piggybacking information into the contract. That is such a key point as well, because that's a huge area to get started. For everyone who, like I said, is on the YouTube channel, I've already added the link to Pavilion's website for you to go in and create your supplier profile and start uploading those contracts, especially if you already have a matchmaker who is going to be <laughs> connecting you with other agencies to do business. Um, so just because I'm up here talking about this, could you tell us a little bit more about the process for a small business creating an account in Pavilion? Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, many businesses will go in and discover that we already have information about their business there. So it's a matter of uh, making sure that your contact information is up to date and accurate. Um, so that when we do have new business for you, we know the right folks to send to. Um, you wouldn't believe the number of times it's it's quite tragic um, where like not the right contact info um, means a, a really valuable lead, like many hundreds of thousands of dollars um, gets passed around or kind of like sits there. So make sure that contact info is up to date. And then there's an opportunity also to give us additional information about your business um, around, hey, you know, what geographies do you serve? Um, you know, are you interested in, in growing your business regionally? Are you open or available to sell across the country? And then um, additional information about what products and services are confirmed to be within the scope of a contract. Um, sometimes it's really straightforward. Um, you know, if you do fence repair, it's telling us, hey, you know, can you do iron? Um, can you do chain link fencing? Um, you know, it's adding in some of those additional keywords that might be part of the scope of that contract. Um, for other types of contracts, especially the sort of discount off lists or catalogs, it can be a much larger set of keywords that's helpful um, for us to make sure, again, your business is, is visible. Uh, so it's really simple. Um, it's a matter of verifying that you're related to the business and then um, opportunistically adding in additional information about the business as well. 
Uh, one thing I actually also will add is um, if you are a small business or a minority owned or otherwise um, diverse business and you have won a, a credential, you, you've, your business has a, um, a credential from a state or federal agency or even a local agency, we actually just launched um, a new feature this week that um, pulls those credentials uh, directly from the state and federal sources. So one pain point uh, for um, for suppliers can oftentimes be like, man, I spent all this time uh, getting this credential. Um, you know, I'm 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 official now. You know, I'm a, I'm a women-owned business. I'm a minority-owned business. And um, and oftentimes the places where those credentials live, the information about those credentials live. And the information on shareable contracts live and procurement information is unfortunately separate. So it can be a lot of work as a supplier to like <laughs> both be like, hey, we have a shareable contract and we have this credential. And let me point you to like a dozen different links um, so you can verify all this information or send it all via email. Um, and again, the theme of what we're building is the information that public uh, buyers need all in one place. So if you do have a business credential, um, hopefully we already have it there. We're continuing to add more of these um, certifying entities, the data into the platform all the time. Um, but I know we just launched this week for Oregon, um, Arizona, Texas, and California, all the statewide um, credentials, and we'll be expanding that list as well. So um, if you have a certification and it's not in there too, let us know because that certification can be working for you. Um, we do see buyers go in and filter and try to find, hey, I want a shareable contract, but I'd like to prioritize um, you know, a diverse, um, a diverse business. Oh, huge kudos for that, um, that feature, that additional feature. That's something that has definitely been near and dear to the start of GovLier and the reason that we started doing this work anyway. Um, the podcast was just a bonus. You know, I, I, I had to tell people the other day, I'm like, GovLier is a technology company. It's a software company. <laughs> We just so happen to do all this other stuff. So, um, but definitely excited and happy to have you here. Um, yeah, definitely. We have a few people say this is good to know. Nice information. Very informative. Thank you. So this has been a really good episode. Mario, I did want to see if you have any additional information for businesses that you would like to share, uh, whether it's based on the work that you do or your journey as an entrepreneur as well. So any final thoughts? Yeah, well, I know you know this to be true too, but like it's hard work. It is for so many people a labor of love. And, um, and sometimes it feels almost illogical to be doing it. Um, so, um, I, I think the biggest thing is like, just keep going. Um, and, um, and there are folks out there, ourselves included, that are really excited about, um, trying to figure out how to make it easier and support each other. Uh, cause we should have a much larger community of, of folks that are selling into the public sector. Um, there's so much opportunity to both access just this massive market. I mean, $2 trillion at the state and local level every single year that has to be spent. Um, and one that has also just such high impact. And, you know, whether you're making school food or um, helping folks get to work um, on time um, or, you know, um, providing health services, you know, maintaining our fields and, and rec um, areas, uh, there's just so much need and get out there um to be done so yeah really excited um and thank you for for supporting this kind of growing community of businesses that are really excited and curious um to be serving the the market you're you're not alone um although your friends and family might look at you and be like you're a little crazy um, but it's a good crazy 
Thank you so much for that. And again, everyone, I already dropped the links to create your account, create your supplier profile in Pavilion's platform. This, I don't know if y'all heard, but basically this is going to revolutionize the way that agencies are going after these opportunities um, and finding and sourcing businesses. And I, I think on the website as well, uh, they had an article about um, piggybacking language, but also the shareable contracting language. So go there, check out their resources, create your profile, test the website, see what type of opportunities are available. Can can businesses search other businesses as well uh, to yeah. partner on some opportunities or? Yeah, that is one thing. Um, so a lot of businesses also um, are maybe not directly awarded um, government business yet. You haven't been directly awarded um, an RFP um, you know, or, or, or won a contract yet. Um, but, uh, we do know that, um, many businesses out there still sell to government through, um, a prime, you know, they're a subcontractor, they're a reseller, they're a distributor. Um, so if you also typically subcontract or resell, um, or serve as a, as a distribution partner for a business that has been directly awarded a contract that is shareable, um, we can also get your business um, set up. Um, one thing we have heard is um, this desire to do better matchmaking between um, you know, folks that have larger companies that have been directly awarded business and um, you know, smaller, more local, diverse businesses as well. Um, we don't we don't have a great way to serve that today on the platform, but it's on our radar um, and it's certainly on our longer term roadmap. Definitely keep me posted with that and however I can provide some support in that area. Um, and we did have someone, Jonathan said, this is a great concept. Thank you so much, Mario. Um, and Shannon said, thank you as well. So yeah, I'm saying thank you. Because again, this has <laughs> always been something that is, you know, we've had the conversation about it, but to also see the journey to where you are now and a lot of the work that you're adding onto the plate. Awesome. So congratulations. And that's it. Everyone, Thank go you. ahead and like, comment, subscribe, and share this video to at least five people who need to hear this information. Don't be stingy. It's 2023, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> all right. So we'll catch you all in the next episode. Thank you again, Marielle. Thank you so much. Yeah, really appreciate the opportunity to get the word out. Have a good day, y'all.